What's up, dudes and dudettes? Welcome to Sinescapades, the like totally radical chronological journey through the North American Super Nintendo Library, four games at a time. We play them briefly, judge them harshly, and then like, you know, rank them. And it's totally groovy, you know? I'm Steampunk Link. I'm Emmy Zero, and uh, we have got a tubular, bodacious show in store for you today. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know what was up with that voice. I was trying to go for Ninja Turtle. I think you just went for Surfer, really, um, which is not inappropriate. I feel like I ended up somewhere between Surfer and like Bill Clinton, actually. With that, maybe I- a little bit, but you're still in, you're still well situated in the early '90s, either way. So uh, I think you're good. Anyways, folks, we're talking about Ninja Turtles today, which is why. Uh, I'm talking like that. Yep. Don't want to bury the lead there. We have got su- uh, we, we, Super Ninja Turtles 4. No, that's not the title of that game. What am I doing? <laughs> Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 4 Turtles in Time. That's what we're doing. It would it would make sense if they just called it Super Ninja Turtles, because like, that was just sort of the, the naming convention in Super Nintendo games. Yeah. <laughs> but we've also got some other games to play as well. You know, we're going to talk about all of them, obviously. Yeah, it's what we do. Every time uh, you turn on the podcast, you're guaranteed to hear somewhere between one and four games discussed. And uh, what else have we got on the docket today? Well, uh, today we're also going to be looking at uh, Rampart and Play Action Football and uh, Monopoly. Yeah. A quick programming note about that one. Um, You might notice if you listened to last week's episode, we said we were going to talk about Soul Blazer uh, and not Monopoly. Uh, It turns out there's some some conflicting information about when Soul Blazer came out exactly. Uh, We thought it was uh, it was in the month that we're talking about now, but it turns out it's it's pretty likely that it might have been November instead of 1992. So we are going to table that one until November. And uh, for now, we're just skipping ahead to the next game in the the order, which is Monopoly. So that's what happened there. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny. We, uh, we talked about Clue not too long ago, and I said in that episode that I was pretty sure there was a Monopoly game for the Super Nintendo. Uh, turns out, yes, there was, and I did not realize that it was going to be happening so quickly after that episode yeah you know parker brothers i think once they decided that they were going to do board games for the super nintendo they just wanted to get them all out there well anyway why don't we uh dive into some turtle action let's do it cowabunga all right so yeah first game up we are looking at Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 4 Turtles in Time, which is a port of the arcade game, which was just called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Turtles in Time, because that game was just a direct sequel to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the arcade game, which came out on the NES as Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, the arcade game, because there had already been a Ninja Turtles game on the NES, and I guess Capcom just decided to just keep numbering them. That was quite a brain fart. Uh, Konami is what I meant to say, not Capcom. Capcom didn't make these games. Konami did. And then they also made a third one on the NES. And so this is now the fourth one, even though it's only based on the second arcade game. 
But uh, they were all made by Konami. Yeah, and uh, they were all, I guess, at least nominally based on the uh, the cartoon series, right? None of these were were tied into the movie at all. Yeah, I believe so. Um, though, I mean, obviously, it's really taking a lot from the cartoons. And I mean, all of the Ninja Turtles games did, though. I would say that, like, maybe the first Konami game on the NES, which was a platformer, was maybe the loosest connection to that series. Yeah, it definitely was. But, you know, Bebop and Rocksteady were still in it, so. Yeah, uh, though actually this game, even though it, it pretty clearly is based on the, the TV series, does have some weird uh, references to other Turtles media. The, the Game Over screen has, like, a digitized image from, like, uh, was that from the movie or was that from, like, the Going Out of Their Shells concert? Um, it's like all four turtles like peering out of a manhole. I think that was uh, a promotional image for one of the movies. Okay. Um, and on that note as well, uh, Toka and Razor are bosses in this, which... Yeah, that's the big one. They were the, the legally distinct not Bebop and Rocksteady that were in uh, Secret of the Ooze. So in a way, this game was sort of a celebration of all things turtles that were going on around that time. Yeah. And I have to say, this game really comes together. It really brings all that stuff together really well. And I absolutely loved this game. Yeah, me too. I was a big fan of this back in the day, both the Super Nintendo version and the arcade version. And going back to it now, I'm still just really impressed by how how well put together it is, how beautiful the graphics are, and how, you know, just how fun it is to play uh it's it's you know uh not straying too terribly far from what you might expect for like a side-scrolling beat-em-up uh we've certainly seen games of this type before on the super nintendo uh we've we've seen final fight we've seen uh rival turf but this is obviously you know much more of like a complete package and a really polished game than than either of those are and uh and yeah as, as just like a person who is a big fan of the turtles as well uh it's it's great for that too it's it's super full of character and personality and uh it just uh it's it's just brimming with like good little touches that like you said make it feel sort of like a a celebration of of the teenage ninja turtles in, in, in general So a little bit more on the history of Turtles games on Nintendo systems. The original TMNT game on the NES came out in 1989, which is the same year that Konami released TMNT, the arcade game, uh, which was a beat-em-up that allowed up to four-player simultaneous play, meaning that all four of the Turtles could be played at the same time. And that was really like the thing that drew, drew me to the arcade because it was just like, you were actually the turtles and you know, it wasn't just like where we're pretending to be turtles in your backyard or something. You know, it was, there's just something really fun about that and, and being able to just get three friends together and, and each of us got to pick a turtle and, and just uh, play that character, you know, throughout the game. It was, it was just incredibly fun back in the day. Uh, that game then, as I mentioned earlier, got ported to the NES in 1990, 1991? I don't actually know. Um, oh, uh, 1990. And, and that is a pretty good port. Like, it obviously doesn't really look or sound quite like the arcade game. You definitely weren't going to confuse one for the other. Which, honestly, with this game, with this port on the SNES, you 
might accidentally confuse it uh, just at a quick glance. It really looks that good. And really, you know, we just got done talking about Street Fighter 2 and how amazing it was that less than two years after the arcade game came out, they were able to make that really good port. This is kind of in the same boat. I would say this maybe even one up Street Fighter 2 in that respect, because it does actually add stuff that is really good that uh, is not in the arcade version. There's there's this great boss fight uh, with Shredder where uh, you have to throw foot soldiers sort of into the screen to hurt him. And I'm pretty sure that's that's unique to this version of the game. Yeah, that boss fight is. Um, I believe in the arcade game you could throw foot soldiers at the screen and uh, a feature that almost looks like it was made to be ported to the Super Nintendo because of the Mode 7 tech. Right. Um, but they, they used it more in this game by adding that level and that extra boss fight against Shredder where he's sort of looming in the foreground and you're throwing the foot soldiers at him. It's a really cool boss fight. Um, Really the only way in which this game is compromised is that it's only two-player co-op instead of four-player, but I mean, you know, we can't be too surprised about that. No, I mean, that's that's sort of, you know, inevitable, honestly. But hey, it's not Final Fight. At least it does give you the second-player option. The thing that always disappointed me the most maybe about the original NES uh, port of the original arcade game was the lack of like character voices. Those are here. Those those are one of the many things that were carried over and they actually sound pretty good. I think some of the little interstitial things where they announce like the names of the levels can be a little bit silly at times, but I mean oh, yeah, yeah. that was kind of par for the course for Turtles at that point, right? Technodrome. Let's kick shell. Let's kick shell. Yeah, or the uh, somewhat unfortunately named Bury My Shell at Wounded Knee. Bury My Shell at Wounded Knee. Yeah, that's pretty unfortunate. So that's that's one of the things, the, the way this one kind of tries to spice things up over the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles arcade game is that, like, there are a few stages where you're going through the streets of New York and you, you fight through the Technodrome, pretty much like what you had in that game. But, you know, a, a ways into the game, uh, you get uh, transported to different periods in time so there's a bunch of different themed levels where you're going through uh very very kind of over-the-top cartoony versions of of you know different different historical periods so you got your level with dinosaurs you've got your pirate level there's several of these and they do a good job of kind of bringing a little bit of a different flavor to the turtles experience that level title that you mentioned is pretty dang unfortunate though that's that's just the old west level, right? Yes, yeah. But I, I do really like, for the most part, what they do with the characters to kind of make them gel with the time travel theme. Like Slash is reimagined as a sort of prehistoric turtle. Uh-huh. Bebop and Rocksteady become pirates. It's good. It just it, it kind of feels like the designers at Konami were given like a little bit more free reign to to be very creative in this one. And uh, yeah, like the whole thing just has a lot of energy to it, which I really appreciate. It's a really fun game, whether you're playing it on the arcade or the Super Nintendo. And it is a little side note. I did see recently um, the uh, 1UP arcade machines that are being sold in the wild. I actually saw one at a, at a Costco here not too long ago that actually had uh, 
the original Turtles arcade game and Turtles in Time, and I was oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I was very tempted, but I could not justify dropping a couple hundred bucks on something like that. You know, there have been a few ports of Turtles in Time to more modern systems over the years, but they are more or less all ports of the arcade game. There is actually content here that's good that you would miss out on if you played, you know, like uh, the version that was weirdly remade for like Xbox Live a number of years ago, or the version that was a bonus feature on one of the the games that tied in with the the early 2000s cartoon. The Super Nintendo version of this has been essentially out of print ever since the days in which it originally appeared were over. So um, this is, I, I think, worth seeking out specifically instead of those versions if you have the ability to, just because of that extra stuff in it. Yeah, this is a really fantastic port of, of a fantastic game. So... I guess probably time to look at rankings. Yeah, I think so. Let's go ahead and do that. Okay, so I'm going to say something a little crazy here. Okay. And I I don't think it's going to stay this high. I think it's going to drop. But I think we start the conversation at Street Fighter 2 at number 2. Because right now, I think, like, that's the closest contemporary this game has. It's a port of an arcade game. It's a really impressive looking one of those. Putting it up against either of the actual beat-em-ups that are on this list right now just wouldn't do the game justice. Now, that would be kind of ridiculous, yeah. Let's start there and let's let's talk about it from that perspective. Having said that, I don't think this game is as good as Street Fighter 2. No, I, I don't think so either. I mean, it's very good, but it is working pretty firmly within the lines of its genre. And, um, you know, it's not it's not like a revolutionary game. It's just a very, very good one of this type of game. Yeah. Um, so I would say, yeah, I would put it below Street Fighter 2. Um, the next game we have up is The Legend of Zelda A Link to the Past. I feel like Turtles should probably go below this one as well. Yeah, I think you're right. I don't think this is super replayable. It's just a it's going to be a very fun, very good experience all the way through when you're playing it, but it's it's not, you know, an incredibly expansive experience. It's not, you know, going to be uh a thing you'll play for hours and hours and um yeah, once you're done with it, you're probably kind of done with it. Super Castlevania 4, I mm, it's kind of close, but I I I think that Again, Super Castlevania 4 is just kind of a bigger experience than this game is. What, what do you think? I agree with that. I think it's got more to it, and I think that these games are on very good, even footing, kind of uh, aesthetically. I think they're both great-looking and sounding games. But yeah, I think that if you were going to play one of these, you could probably get a lot more out of the experience of Super Castlevania 4. And you might actually want to go back to Super Castlevania 4 and try to, you know, improve your scores or see find secrets and things in it in a way that there's just not really that much of to do with Turtles. I don't even know if we need to talk too much about Final Fantasy 2. I, I think that that this clearly belongs below it. What, what do you think? I, I would agree with that. I think we're getting closer to where it's going to be harder to say, you know, one way or another that, like, this is clearly a better game. But yeah, I think Final Fantasy 2 just has so much going on in it. I do think that, like, ActRaiser is maybe a little bit more comparable in terms of content, just because I do think it's also a somewhat brief experience. And also one that's not super replayable. 
so on the one hand, ActRaiser maybe gets some points for originality, but I think that this is a case where Turtles is is just doing what it's doing so well that even if it is kind of more much more traditional as as far as what kind of game it is, um, just like the pleasure of playing it is is so much that you know it stays in this conversation regardless of of how forward thinking or or different ActRaiser is compared to it. Yeah, this one's a little bit tough for me, actually, because I, I did really like Act Racer. It, it is something I could see myself like going back to in the way that I might go back to Ninja Turtles, which would be like, oh, hey, you know, I haven't played this in a while. Let's check this out. Uh, but, you know, like Act Racer is something I would probably play by myself, whereas like with the Turtles, I would absolutely want to have somebody else there with me that, that has the same love of the game. Turtles is a very fun co-op game, for sure. It's still a lot of fun playing by yourself, but it, it is much, much more fun playing two-player. I would be good, honestly, putting putting Turtles between Final Fantasy II and ActRaiser, I think. Yeah, I think I think that works for me. All right. So I guess that means TMNT 4, Turtles in Time, is going to be our new number six? Uh, yes, I believe it does. Okay, congratulations to uh, Turtles in Time. Our new number six, new top ten game. Doesn't mean Lemmings gets knocked out of the top ten, unfortunately. It had it had a good run there, though. It it did. It did. Still, heck of a game. Heck of a game, absolutely. All right, and with all of that, I guess it's time to move on to our next game for the for today. Which I'm sure is gonna be just as good as Turtles. It is another arcade port. Uh, we've got Rampart. Uh, this was uh, originally a uh, Atari-developed game that came out in arcades in 1990. Uh, generally regarded as kind of one of the first modern tower defense games. Uh, so this game is kind of broken up into phases. You have a phase in which you are tasked with building up your, your towers around castles, uh, trying to get as much land as you can so that you can place more cannons in places, then you place your cannons, that's the second phase, and then third phase, you fire those cannons at ships that are firing back at you, trying to destroy your walls, and then you just repeat with a new phase in which you have to rebuild your walls and, and all that stuff. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's got a neat hook to it. It's it's not a bad game by any stretch of the imagination. No, I'm not that crazy about this type of game, so, you know, that limits my enjoyment of it a little bit, just because this is very much like kind of a, a prototypical version of the, the tower defense genre. But yeah, what what's here is is clear, it's straightforward, and once you kind of get into the rhythm of it, it's it's pretty fun, I think. Yeah, you know, I, I think this game is alright. I do, I actually do kind of enjoy this sort of game. I, I think that the little hook that it has, you know, the kind of repeating phases are, can be kind of relaxing, although they can also be incredibly frustrating at times. But I don't know if I like this game on the Super Nintendo. Uh-huh. You know, and, and there's a couple of reasons for that. Uh, for one thing, you know, I, I could not find any documentation on this version of the game specifically anywhere on the internet. Which is kind of interesting because this one does actually have a, a mode that's unique to the Super Nintendo. Yeah, I, it's either unique to the Super Nintendo or it's in maybe like one or two other versions of the game. This game did come out on everything. Yeah, that's that was sort of the Atari way, really. I guess I'll go into a little bit more depth of how this game is played. This game takes place from a top-down perspective in which you've got sort of a, a map with a little island on it. Uh, the island will have a series of castles on it. You pick one of those castles to sort of be your your main base for the round. 
And once you've done that, you place some cannons and then boats start firing at you and your job is to sink those boats before they destroy your walls. Uh, after a brief battle phase, you start rebuilding your walls, but you're not just given new walls to build around your castles. Instead, you're given little pieces of wall that are in various shapes and configurations. And so you have to place those carefully. There's a little bit of Tetrising involved here. Yeah. Because you need to make sure that you've got an actual enclosed space around at least one castle before the battle phase starts. Because if you can't do that, it's game over. A big part of the game just for me was like figuring out how to place all the wall segments correctly. It was really frustrating for me until I realized that LNR could flip the or uh, rotate the wall segments. Yeah. Yeah, I I found myself kind of frustrated by the same thing in in much the same way. I definitely ended up in in cases where I just for whatever reason couldn't figure out how to get two bits of wall to connect and then I just ran out of time and I was like, "Okay, I guess that's it." The controls are a little bit better than they seem like at first, but still are are not necessarily super up to the challenge of letting you do what you need to do consistently in this. Yeah, and again, the lack of documentation for this version of the game specifically made it very hard to figure that out. Like, I wanted to just find an instruction manual somewhere so that I would know all of the controls and wouldn't have to just guess within these limited time spans that you're given for each phase how everything works and then have to remember that. So later levels kind of add new wrinkles, like ships that fire red cannonballs, which will leave little red holes in the ground, which don't clear up for three rounds, so you can't build walls through those. Um, there's also ships that will like start sending tanks after you, which will also disrupt your ability to make more walls. Yeah, the game starts throwing a lot of things at you, and again, it can just be really maddening sometimes. It's like, I'm just... Just trying to make my walls, man. Why do you why do you gotta throw tanks at me? So do you know how many different scenarios does this game have? I do not know. Um a lot. Far more than there are in the super mode, which is uh, a different mode altogether, which actually utilizes mode seven. Uh when you go into the battle phase, it actually tilts the screen kind of like a, an F Zero or the, the Chocobo segments in Final Fantasy and um which I don't think makes the game any easier to play. In fact, I actually think it makes it a little bit harder to see ships. That's unfortunate. The islands, as you get through the stages, start being a lot larger. There's a lot more space to scan for enemies. And since the enemies don't always drop into the map in that mode until the battle phase starts, you basically are just left to kind of scan entire stretches of map looking for enemies, but you've only got so long to actually fire on them. I just found that mode absolutely impossible to play. I don't know how anybody does it. Although I didn't know that there are super cannons and propaganda balloons that you can also deploy as well as cannons in that mode, because again, couldn't find any freaking documentation. Yeah, that's pretty frustrating. I only discovered that because of a, just a random forum post on Game Facts where there were no actual facts, but apparently somebody wrote that down. So it, it was very strange. And I guess maybe that would have made everything easier, like having the propaganda balloons. Apparently, you can just send a hot air balloon to convert an enemy to your side, and then they'll fire on other ships for one round or something like that. Even so, though, there's, you know, it, it does just sound like the super mode is something that, like, they were like, okay, well, there's extra stuff we can do with this hardware let's do something with it even if that stuff isn't actually like fun or like a good addition to the original game design that's here 
Yeah, I mean, there, there are things I liked about this game, but, uh, you know, I, I just found the super mode way too frustrating to, to be recommendable. And it kind of just leaves me feeling like, eh, maybe find this game on a different system or maybe just play the arcade original. Uh, for one thing, I did look up to see if this game had mouse support, but it does not. Do you know, was the, was, was the arcade version of this like a trackball game or something? I think it was, but I, I don't actually know that for certain. I feel like that would be better than using a joystick or, or whatever the equivalent, you know, of, of the Super NES control pad would be in the arcade. You know, it's it's kind of awkward controlling the cursor with that in this. Yeah, I don't really have a ton to say about this. Like, it is absolutely fine for what it is, even though it does sound like all of those additions they made to it don't really amount to much. I... Enjoyed my time with this a fair bit, but I don't think I would go back to it. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you there. Or if I did go back to it, I would probably try to find a, a version that's maybe just a little bit better than the Super Nintendo version is. Um, and also, according to the International Arcade Museum at arcademuseum.com, uh, yes, this game did have a trackball support or used a trackball, I should say, it did have trackballs. Okay, you know what I mean. <laughs> they know what I mean. I got you. They got you. It's all good. One other thing this game does have is like a two-player mode in which you're both trying to take castles and fire cannons at each other. That seems kind of fun. Yeah, that's, that's probably all right. But again, like, I don't know why you would play this version rather than a system with better controls for this kind of game. That all being said, uh, do you think we should try to find a place for this on our list here? Yeah, let's do that. Um, I'm trying to think of something, I guess, you know, like maybe a good comparison for this might be something like Populous, which, you know, is also sort of like a building up your defenses sort of game, even though that it plays a little bit differently. I, I think that Populous does not suffer as much as Rampart does from being on the Super Nintendo. I would agree with that. Um, I think this is the right general ballpark for it, but I do think I would go lower than Populous. How do you feel about this against Super Smash TV? So Super Smash TV is also one that has some issues with its controls on the Super Nintendo. I, I think Super Smash TV maybe doesn't suffer quite as much from those issues as pop as as rampart does i would also say that like super smash tv was probably made to be a little bit frustrating like that anyway because it was kind of made to be a quarter gobbler right right yeah whereas this isn't really that you know um this is a very different different sort of of game to to put in an arcade for me at least final fight might be the floor for rampart um because i think that final final fight is is also fairly compromised in some ways i think it's fun i mean i think that that the type of game that final fight is is just generally you have to do kind of a lot to really make that unfun but you know i i do think that it is it is pretty clearly missing some stuff from the arcade version that that gets in its way and um obviously i haven't played the arcade version of rampart but i feel like probably the core design of this has maybe made it a little more intact Though, also, Final Fight does not have an entire other mode that is just full of bad design choices that was just sort of bolted onto it. Yeah. So, you had a, a more extensive experience with Rampart than I did, I think. Um, what do you think? Do you think that it should still go lower? <laughs> it, it's tough, because, like, like, at first glance, Final Fight looks amazing. You know, I, I feel like if I dug into both of these games an equal amount of time... There's maybe a slight chance that I would go for Rampart before I would go for 
final fight just because I, I I do think that like you know there's there's nuts and bolts to Rampart that are maybe a little bit more to get into. Whereas Final Fight, you know, like TMNT, it's kind of a brief experience. Except that Final Fight doesn't have you know like a lot of the great stuff that TMNT did, which is why it's it's as low as it is. See, so it sounded like you were kind of thinking between Super Smash TV and Final Fight. That's what I was thinking, but I'm willing to listen to an argument if you think it should go lower. I mean, you know, like, there's a part of me that's just kind of like, maybe it was just kind of like a knee-jerk reaction that like Rampart belongs below Final Fight. But yeah, thinking about it even a little bit more, I, I think you're right. I think that this could go between those two and that this should be our new number 31. Okay, so that's uh, Rampart going or Final Fight. Ah, uh-huh, I see what you did there. It's good. <laughs> to be our new number 31. Well, now, let's uh, let's go ahead and turn our Rockets red glare to super pro-action football. Is that right, or is it just pro-action football? Super play-action football, I think. Play-action football. Damn. <laughs> Yeah, so this one was developed by Tose, which I think we've talked about before. They're one of those shadow developers. Yeah, and they worked a lot with uh, with Nintendo. Um, there's some things that probably you think were developed internally by Nintendo that actually were developed by Tose. You know, they've they've done a lot for a lot of different companies, though. I think this isn't even the first sports game by Tose that we've done, right? Probably not, but I would have to go back through the list and find which one was the other one and I don't have time for that right now but uh this one was published by Nintendo so this is another Nintendo Tose collabo this even has a little bit of Nintendo iconography in the game which I thought was interesting the uh the coin toss coin at the start of the match has uh Mario on one side and the raccoon tail on the other side yeah I thought that was cute and uh odd because this otherwise is very much not like a Nintendo specific thing at all. Yeah, it's definitely not like a Nintendo sports sort of thing in the same vein as like a, a modern day Mario Tennis or Mario Strikers or something. This is just no, no, no. straight up football. It's It's got licenses, yeah. So you've got actual NFL teams that you can play as. Didn't do the same thing with the NCAA stuff, which uh, actually is kind of funny because there's a few humorous things in there. So for the most part, a lot of schools are just called like Washington instead of University of Washington. Uh-huh. Some of them are given kind of cheekier names like Fluke instead of Duke or Moldy Moss instead of Holy Cross. Oh, that's cute. Some of these are maybe a little bit too clever for their own good, like Run Over Ya, which I think maybe is supposed to be Villanova, but I'm not entirely sure. That's Yeah, that's kind of tough to parse, really. Yeah. I'm not sure what Renovria is supposed to be. But in any case, you've got a, a lot of different versions of the game. Uh, you've got high school mode, college mode, and pro mode. I said versions. I should have said modes. It's modes. You have different modes in this game. Uh, I think it determines like the playbook that you have available to you, uh, aside from just kind of like what I assume would uh, be also the difficulty of the AI and things like that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so the game has your pretty, you know, standard one player, one V2 player, or one and two player V computer modes. Which I'm surprised that's popped up in so many sports games on the Super Nintendo. I think it makes sense. I I think so too. It's just, it's not a thing I tend to think about as like one of the main mode types, but it is in a lot of these games. It was in at least one of the soccer games, right? Yeah, it's been in a couple of the soccer games. Um, I want to say it might have been in like all the soccer games that we've covered so far. Maybe not that first one that was bad, but but you know, in any case, 
case. I mean, it's American football. The The camera angle is kind of strange in this one. It actually takes place diagonally across the screen, which I guess makes sense because it does give you like the most real estate technically when you're dealing with, you know, elongating the field or trying to show as much of the field as possible. I, I, w- I gotta say that that angle worked a lot better for me than like a top down angle would have. Um, you know, I'm glad that they at least didn't go for the top down angle on this. Yeah, I'm glad they didn't do that. Although, I mean, I am surprised that, you know, this game bu- published by Nintendo itself didn't incorporate mode seven. Yeah, it does seem like it would have been kind of an obvious thing to use here, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it does. So I was, I was surprised that they didn't try to do anything like that. The playbook's fine. You have the option to either manually select your plays or to select your plays via a button combination if you're playing two-player and don't want the other player to see what you're doing. Other than that, I don't really know what else to say about this one. One thing that I thought was kind of interesting about this one is that I think this one does actually let you manually switch from player to player on your team instead of just having it be automatically whoever's closest to the ball, which um, is, is different. I don't know that it really helped me very much, but it is kind of an unusual thing to see here. Aside from the fact that it's it's sort of notable that it does have the, the actual licensed um, NFL teams in it, uh, th- there's not really a lot that's that's you know particularly unusual or sort of earth shaking about this game i don't think yeah i i feel like the the controls weren't quite as intuitive as they were with madden for some reason maybe i'm just misremembering i don't know i had a lot of trouble with madden Did you? i don't think i had as much trouble with okay. this 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 felt better to play to me than madden did yeah as far as the the actual feel of like you know controlling players on the field I do feel like I had an easier time making this one do what I wanted it to than, than I did with Madden. Yeah, I think presentation-wise, this game is fine. You know, I like the little interstitials with like the where it looks like a, a bustling uh, stadium. You know, with concession stands and everything, and a little screen in the top, kind of telling you what's going on. Yeah, I thought that was cute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, the big problem with this, of course, is that you know it's American football, a sport that neither of us are really all that into, and and and, and one that's complicated enough that like not knowing the rules of it intimately does make you not as capable of playing the game which is a problem in my case so yeah i mean like again you know i know the rules because i used to kind of engage with football stuff but you know all this like contextual button remapping and everything else like i just you know it's more than i can bother with for a genre of game that i don't really like representing a sport that i just really have no interest in engaging with at all these days so as far as ranking goes unless you had anything else to say about this one Nope, I, I really didn't. So, uh, yeah, I think that the ranking is is the only thing left to do here. Uh, where were you thinking about about sort of placing this one? Oh, jeez, I don't even know. Um, well, you seem to like this one more than Madden, right? I did. I did like this one more than Madden. I had a better time playing this. I do think it's a more attractive game. Those are kind of pretty uh, basic statements, but I put it up for Madden, but probably not very much higher up. I'll be honest with you, and I I know this is going to create another clump, and this is probably going to be a clump that's even harder to dislodge just because of, you know, our relationship with the game of American football, but 
I don't know that I care all that much. What if we just put it above Madden and call it a day? I think that's fine. Um, I think that we can totally do that. Put uh, put put uh, Super Play Action Football at number thirty four. Madden moves down to thirty five, and uh, we have two football games locked together like players in a tackle. Yes, uh, just a. a- a horrible, quivering mass of football men. Ugh, I hate it. <laughs> All right. So uh, so there we go. Super play-action football is hut, hut hiking its way to number 34. Football. I, w- I wish I had some kind of uh, football-appropriate exclamation to make here as, as a button on this, but uh, I don't. I, I don't have many. Um Boom. Tough actin to actin. There we go. We did it. You did it. That's great. <laughs> we just covered sports. I guess it's time for the news now because we are now getting into September of 1992. So let's... Uh, Ooh, sweet. Can we do the weather after that? I would love to. Okay, great. Yeah, but uh, let's kick it over to Newsy. It's September 1992. The Last of the Mohicans starring Daniel Day-Lewis opens and goes on to earn over $75 million. Boys to Men dominate the charts with End of the Road for a whopping 13 weeks at number one. And in a cooperative mission between the United States and Japan, the NASA Space Shuttle Endeavor embarks upon its second mission. Among the crew is mission specialist May Carol Jemison, the first black woman to travel into space. Back to you, Emmy Zero and Steampunk Link. All right. So uh, thank you, Newsy. And um, Last of the Mohicans, movie I've never seen. Nope, me either. I remember it existing. Um, it's based on like a really, really old novel that I have also not read, so I genuinely have nothing to say about this one. Same here. So, uh, but Boys to Men, though, um, they are in the middle of their 13, I think, week dynasty. God, that's such a hot streak. I mean, that song was inescapable, though. Like, just, it really was, like, everywhere. Yeah, yeah. I believe that song was actually from a soundtrack uh, from a movie called Boomerang, which I know literally nothing about except that song. I definitely did not know that was on a movie's soundtrack, but uh, that's interesting, because that song has clearly way outlasted that movie in in popular memory. So, Boyz II Men reissued their first album, Cooley High Harmony, with, you know, some bonus tracks, and that was one of them. So, like, you didn't even need to have bought that soundtrack to actually get that song. But yeah, and th- this is just after, like, another big dinosaur, after or before? I- this is after the Whitney Houston one, right? Is that what you were talking yeah, about? Yeah, I, I, I believe. About? No, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. This is um, this is before Whitney Houston. So okay, so we still have not gotten to the uh, "I Will Always Love You" dominance like year or whatever that was. Yeah, that's going to be happening closer to the end of this year and like through most of the first part of next year. So um, another another soundtrack song, but we'll talk more about that one when we get to it. I do want to say really quick is a little correction here. I think I talked about the Madonna song that was from the last Newsy segment as being sandwiched between the Boys to Men and Whitney Houston dynasties, and I was getting all mixed up. That is not correct. It was just before Boys to Men. Yeah, that's. I think that's why I was confused. Yeah, I think yeah. I was confused too. So, uh, quick correction there from me. That was my bad. But, uh, and uh, hey, um, May Carol Jamison, first African American woman travel in space. 
That's pretty cool. And that's it, extremely cool. Yeah. So I, I picked this story because uh, she actually guest starred in an episode of Star Trek that was directed by LeVar Burton, uh, Star Trek The Next Generation, I should say. He found out that she was a Star Trek fan and he really wanted her on the show. So he actually uh, invited her to do a guest spot on there. And uh, Michelle Nichols yeah, was, was actually on the set that day as well. That's super cool. That's that's awesome. Um, what episode was that? Just I know we're getting off track. Yeah, no, that's our that's okay. Uh, it was the episode Second Chances, which is the episode in which uh, huh. Will Riker discovers that he has a double because he got split in a transporter accident. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good episode. Uh, transporters are terrifying, huh? Aren't they? Well, yeah. There's the whole thing of like you know the the, the transporter dilemma or something like that. I think it's called where. Yeah, right. Are you actually replicating a person or are you just destroying a person and making a copy of them? Yeah, like essentially, like, would your consciousness cease to be at that point and then a new consciousness emerges with all of your memories intact and like nobody would would know, including that version of you that yeah. that was the case. So maybe Barkley was right all along, folks. Barkley Barkley had some some good points. Not about everything. Uh, not about most things, I would say. But, you know, I think that uh, I understand why his modern world terrifies Barclay. Yeah, you know? yeah. Well, and of course, you know, it's that one episode, you know, taught us uh, Barkley, it turns out, was descended from spiders, apparently. So Yeah, that's canon still in Star Trek. Uh, so, you know, that guy's got a lot of things stacked against him, I think. Uh, but he's trying. You know, he's, he's, he's got things stacked against him, like the fact that, you know, like some of his best moments come from like one of the worst Star Trek's uh, Voyager. <laughs> you know what, though? I'm really glad that that stuff exists in Voyager because the spy- the episode where he turns into a spider monster is the last time he showed up on Next Generation. Like, without those Voyager episodes, it's like one tiny cameo in First Contact, and then nothing else for, like, one of the best side characters in, in that whole era of Star Trek. I-, I totally forgot that he was in First Contact. I gotta see that movie again. Folks, this is Talking Trek. We're just changing gears now. This is a uh... Our new podcast, Talking Trek. We're done with Super Nintendo games now. Talking Trek. Shut up, Wesley. Shut up, Wesley. I said shut up. As in close your mouth and stop talking. Just talking Trek. Just, you know, we're we're gonna we're gonna go through the whole thing. I'm sure that will be doable and about as uh, in in a um easier amount of time than the super nintendo yeah there's definitely not enough podcasts to talk about star trek right now nope there certainly are not enough star trek rewatch podcasts (laughs) and podcasts that just talk about it in general or just opinions about star trek on the internet we need to add more talking trek no not really although we, we will revisit that because there are like four star trek games on the super nintendo yep there are yep we'll get to them eventually We sure will i it was very stimulating. But for now, we got something else to get to. We got to get to a little thing called capitalism. Yeah, we go from our nice, you know, socialist utopia in space to back down to Earth with our current capitalist nightmare in the form of the board game Monopoly. ever actually finished a game of monopoly that's what i want to know i've never finished a game of monopoly i'm pretty sure it would take about as much time as finishing a game of risk which i've also never done and frankly i would rather play risk because i find i would get more out of committing that amount of my life 
to a full playthrough of that game than I would with Monopoly. Monopoly always just kind of ends up with, like, I, I think that generally my family's rule was, like, we would just kind of all agree to stop once the first person got knocked out of the game, basically. Which I, I do think is, like, is a big problem with the game in general. Like, I, I think that there's a problem with any game in which players are knocked out and could be knocked out for, like, large portions of the game. Because, like, that isn't any fun. Like, I feel like if your board game incorporates people getting knocked out, go back to the drawing board and do that again. But anyway. So yeah, we're we're kind of just talking about the board game Monopoly right now because that's really what video game version is. It is a very uh, direct, very straightforward translation of the game and its iconography and all of its rules into a video game. Yep. But, uh, you know, hey, if you guys want to talk a little bit more about Monopoly, that is uh, its origins... I just so happen to have a little bit of information here. Oh, please go ahead. Yeah, so uh, Monopoly has humble origins starting in the early 1900s, where its original form was created by Elizabeth Lizzie Maggie in Brentwood, Maryland. It was called The Landlord's Game, which she uh, patented in 1904. So uh, Maggie was a proponent of the economic philosophies of 19th century political economist Henry George, a lot of folks with two first names. <laughs> um, explaining an entire economic philosophy is way outside the scope of this podcast, which is talking track, of course. <laughs> but uh, in a nutshell, uh, and according to Rational Wiki, Georgism's primary focus is the single tax on land values and elimination of all other taxes. Good luck with that. The the rationale here being that uh, as land isn't man-made, its value to some extent should be enjoyed by everyone, and also disincentivizing wasteful land acquisition and use. So far from a perfect system, but, you know, there's some altruistic ideas in there, like, you know, maybe the disincentivization of landlords. But anyway, so uh, Maggie wanted to kind of spread these ideals by teaching George's philosophy through her board game. Uh, The first published versions of her game started showing up in 1906 and decades later would be uh, further refined as uh, the landlord's game and prosperity. Prosperity being a variant on the game played with the same board, but with different rules. Uh, The game became popular in academic circles, and many who played it started making their own rules, uh, including some who would publish their own versions under different names. Uh, A fan of the game named Ruth Hawkins is the one who actually introduced the Atlantic City street names to the game that remain to this day. Uh, It wasn't until 1933 when Charles Darrow released the game in its current form and actually called it Monopoly, Uh, Somehow he was granted a patent for Monopoly, despite it being derivative of an already patented work. But um, I guess that's capitalism. Uh, Maggie only saw about $500 for her work and never received any royalties from Monopoly. I don't like this game that much, but she still should have gotten paid uh, like a, a princely sum for creating it. And to be fair, like, I don't know if her variation on this would have been more fun than the game that we have today. But but in any case, um, there is a really great article from which I pulled most of this information from, uh, written by Edward J. Dodson in 2011, and it's archived at henrygeorge.org if you want to go read it. Yeah, we've got Monopoly today. A game that seems to celebrate unbridled capitalism. The object of capitalism, I mean, Monopoly, uh, isn't to make money, but to literally make all of the money to the detriment of everyone else. Uh, I'm not sure if I've ever actually finished a game of Monopoly. Most games of Monopoly that I've played have just 
ended in people frustratingly quitting or knocking the board over or or everybody just getting bored and deciding to do something else. You know what? I, and I still didn't finish the game of Monopoly I played playing this video game version of Monopoly either. Yeah, yeah I, I will say, like, I actually just ended up letting the computer play after I took a few turns because I was just bored by it because I don't really care for capitals. I mean, Monopoly. Yeah, I mean, I played a few turns and then I kind of just sort of let it run for a while to see what would happen. I saw a couple of interesting things, but for the most part, this really did just feel like playing Monopoly. You know, the value of this as a game, this, you know, Monopoly for the Super Nintendo, which uh, published by Parker Brothers, I don't think, I don't know if we actually said that. but Oh yeah, I don't think I did, yeah. You know, the value of this is, is in how much you want to have the experience of playing Monopoly, but you don't want to actually deal with all the stuff that goes along with that. All the little pieces of fake money and the hotels and, you know, uh, actually parsing how the rules work and stuff. Uh, You don't really have to worry about any of that with this game. Uh, But it's all still here, so, you know. I will say, like, this game, you know, it it doesn't go for many of the house rules that I think a lot of people, you know, our age played. Like, uh, for example, I wasn't even aware, you know, until, like, semi-recently that when you land on a, on a property in Monopoly that isn't owned by anyone and you decide not to buy it, that it just immediately goes to auction. Uh-huh. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Yeah, I think that would have sped up a lot of games that I'm remembering <laughs> playing. So maybe it was partially our fault. There was also the thing of, like, putting the tax money under free parking. So, yeah, this one doesn't really have any of that. It's just the kind of bog standard, most basic rules for Monopoly. And um, actually, the auctioneering part was sort of interesting because I had never done that in any version of Monopoly before. And, um, you know, that that did actually add a little bit more of... um, you know, a, a little bit, a little bit more excitement to at least a few parts of the game. But for the most part, pretty much anything I could say about this, I could say about Monopoly, the board game as well. The the first few turns to me are probably the most fun because that's when everybody's going around the board and buying things up. I think once the game sort of settles into its second phase where everybody basically owns everything, uh, you know, parceled out between them and you're kind of just, uh, you know, making deals or trying to bleed people dry, uh, it gets pretty sloggy pretty fast. Yeah, I mean, I will say that, like, I I liked the trading system, the way that worked. It was all very intuitive and and pretty pretty nice, the the way it was handled in the game. Really, like, you know, we did just talk about Clue not too long ago, and I think we came to the conclusion that, like, there was absolutely no reason to recommend clue the video game over the board game because like there's some just things that just fundamentally don't work as well about clue in the context of a video game yeah that isn't the case with monopoly and in fact no it's not this game i could actually come up with a few reasons as to why you might prefer this game over the board game for one thing it has a cool feature where players can drop out and let the computer take over their piece if they uh if they need to leave or something like that yeah that's neat yeah you know that's the kind of feature that i think players would probably just take for granted these days. But back then, that wasn't something that you would assume would be in a game like this. So I think it's really cool that they have features like that. You know, it offloads a lot of the math and stuff like that onto the computer to kind of make the game flow a little bit better. It is, you know, it does keep the game very snappy. Honestly, like, that alone might be a good reason to play this version over the board game.
you know, I, I think the, the little presentational things are cool. Yeah, no, the little animations um, for the different spaces and for the different game pieces moving around are, are a lot of fun. I yeah, I, I enjoyed watching the boot and the Scotty dogs sort of hop around. I liked that the top hat moved by having a rabbit appear underneath it as if it was like a rabbit magically appearing out of a hat and <laughs> jumping across the board. Yeah, no, that's fine. I also liked the really strange, um, the, like the one voice clip in the game that occurs when you get out of jail that sounds like a, a weirdly Irish cop saying, don't you be coming back here now. <laughs> don't you be coming back here now. First time I heard it, I, I got to chuck a lot of that. Not so much the next 5,000 times, but, you know. So, yeah, this is well put together. And, yeah, I, unless you really want to do, like, house rules or there's something really appealing to you about having all those physical pieces and tokens around, this is a good alternative to Monopoly as a board game that really doesn't lose anything uh, fundamental about the experience of playing the game. Yeah, I, I know. As far as, like, just the game of Monopoly, I really all of my criticisms for this would just come from the fact that it is Monopoly. Like, it would be inherent in the board game version, but I don't really... Yeah, basically. There's nothing really I can say about this version of it specifically that I think um, is is any worse than just playing the board game. So, I mean, so in that way, this is a pretty good success. I very much agree. Yeah, I don't really think I have anything else to say about it. Do you want to start looking at the, the list and seeing, uh, trying to figure out where to rank this one? I think we could probably start with Clue here. I think this is better than Clue. Yeah. Um, we have, um, so, so Clue is at number 69. Nice. Right above that, we've got Super Ghouls and Ghosts. Uh, what do you think about that matchup? I think I probably enjoy Super Ghouls and Ghosts as a game more than I enjoy the game of Monopoly. That being said, um, there's a pretty big degree of, of effort that has to go into getting good enough at Super Ghouls and Ghosts that you can actually enjoy playing that game that I don't really think Monopoly is going to ever have because it's it's just Monopoly. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that is, you know, ultimately the problem with Capital. I mean, uh, Monopoly is that, you know, every your success is mostly luck-based, whereas with Ghouls and Ghosts, you can get better gradually and, 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 and do a little bit better. We've got World League Soccer right above that, and... Uh- I, World League Soccer was not great. Like World League, World League Soccer was was function was functional. You know, this isn't even a conversation. Like this is definitely better than World League Soccer. I think the Chess Master is kind of an interesting comparison, though, because this is another one where it's very much just like, do you want to play this board game in a video game format? Here it is. Monopoly obviously has uh, kind of a big presentation advantage over the chess master, even though obviously uh, for me personally, I would rather play chess than Monopoly. This is a tough one for me because like on the one hand, like Monopoly maybe has more things to play with that make it ripe for presentational stuff. But I mean, on the other hand, they could have just made some bare bones Monopoly. Yeah, they could have. And they didn't do that. And they did put in some smart features like the ability for the computer to take over for a player uh, you know, I think they did a good job putting this together. I think I would be okay putting this above Chess Master if you're okay with that. Yeah, I am. We got Smart Ball right above that. Genuinely kind of flawed game, but with ideas, fun ideas. I'm finding it kind of tough to to compare Monopoly to some of these things, honestly. I don't have much of a reason to play either Smart Ball or Monopoly, but there's a context in which I can recommend monopoly to someone which is someone tells me oh yeah i really like that game monopoly in which case oh well let me tell you about a super nintendo game called monopoly (laughs) right yeah (laughs) Um, 
that case doesn't exist for smart ball, you know? No, that's that's pretty true. Okay, so above smart ball, we've got three sports games in a row. We do. That are all kind of not the best examples of those sports. We've got Super Bases Loaded, we've got Jack Nicklaus Golf, and we've got Nolan Ryan's Baseball at... 54, 53, and 52, respectively. I think there's probably a case you can make that, given, for one thing, board game adaptations are a lot rarer on the system than either baseball or golf games. The fact that Monopoly is is actually, even by itself, pretty obviously well put together, even without, like, points of comparison, maybe puts this above those three games. Yeah, I was wondering if maybe, like, it goes somewhere, and I'm trying to remember Nolan Ryan's baseball now, to think, like, the, but I guess that's the thing, it's like, these are all so forgettable at this point. Actually, wasn't Nolan Ryan's baseball the one with, like, the kind of rounded, sort of chibi-looking sprites? I thought that was extra innings, or did they both have that? Oh, that... I, yeah, this is the problem. I can't remember now. I know Extra Innings had like a lot of that that sort of chibi style to it, but I mean, like it, it's certainly possible that it's not the only one that had that. Maybe we we do just jump up and we talk about D Force. Like, do you think this belongs above D Force? Because if it does, then you know the, this negates the need to even bother with these sports titles. But well, I don't know. D Force is pretty flawed. I enjoyed D Force for what it was, but it, there was also also kind of a sense that like it it just was sort of poorly thought out in a way, you know? D-Force was the one with the helicopter? The helicopter, and it had the thing where you could kind of uh, zoom in and out of, like, a, a an upper and lower layer on the field. Right, 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 yeah. Hmm. Well, here's where my genre bi- bias is probably starting to show, because I think I probably would still play D-Force just because I enjoy the gameplay more than Monopoly. Um, even though, as far as it goes, D-Force is kind of a flawed version of that kind of game. So that puts it between, you know, somewhere between D-Force and Smart Ball. But your immediate reaction was to put it above all those sports games? Just because I think that it's it's sort of doing the work to be a good video game version of the thing that it's translating um, in a way that, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily say for Bases Loaded or Jack Nicholas Golf, and maybe increasingly I'm thinking... Nolan Ryan's baseball may have been a little better than I'm giving it credit for, as I remember a little more about it. So, so Nolan Ryan's baseball, I'm looking up some screenshots now. It did kind of have the the chibi look to it, but it, it was more like RBI baseball than like a really okay, good, you know, yeah. like cartoony kind of right, yeah. presentation. Okay, so yeah, maybe between D Force and Nolan Ryan, then I think I'm good with that. All right, so. uh so there we are. Yep. Monopoly number 52. And we now have, what well, we have, 74? Yeah, 74 is what I've got on here. Uh, getting closer and closer to that big old hundo. So that's exciting. Yeah, that's going to be fun. So we've got a letter, another little programming note, I think, um, about something we're going to do a little differently with the show going forward. The beginning of the show till now, we've we've done generally four games per episode, and we're going to change that up a little bit going forward, uh, and we're going to go down to doing three games per episode. Yeah, I think that'll that'll give all the games a little bit more time to breathe. It'll 
take a little bit of the workload off of our shoulders because we only have to play and research three games per week instead of four, which is going to be a lot easier. It might also help make the episodes a little bit shorter, which we have been trying to keep the episodes right around an hour uh, and not more than that. And, you know, as we've gone along, the conversations about the games have got a little bit more expansive and, you know, it's been a little bit harder to to kind of keep it within that window that we, we sort of want the show to be at. So the hope is that that you know, by doing three games instead of four, we can have some good conversations about these without feeling like we need to rush through anything. This has been a, a pretty nutty episode, but I, I've had a lot of fun. I, I hope you've had fun as, to, as well, Emmy. Uh, I absolutely have. Aside from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, this was not the most exciting, uh, you know, clutch of games to me. But uh, it was still that they were still all pretty interesting in their own way, and uh, I, I am pleased with where we ended up ranking them all. So, what do we have up next time on the show? All right. Well, as we uh, travel through the month of September of the year 1992, next time we will be looking at Axley or Axley. We've got F1 ROC uh, Race of Champions. So we'll be getting a little Formula One action going. All right. There. And then uh, Faceball 2000. Oh, man. The, the, the face ball. That ball, it's in your face. Right in your face. Slam dunks. Our first first-person shooter on the system. That'll be interesting. <laughs> that sure will be. Emmy and I have had a lot of fun. We also hope that you have had fun as well and that you will come back and continue to have fun with us here at Snescapades. Um, anything else? Nope. I think that's it. For some reason, we're we're really kind of not figuring out how to wrap this one up. I don't know. This is a weird... Uh, we, we got some weird energy going on here, I feel like, in the episode. I guess so. Uh, until next time, I'm Steampunk Link. And I'm Emmy Zero. And uh, make it so. I, I mean, uh, play it loud. Our intro-outro song is How Now Brown Cow by Technoaxe, who very generously offers a ton of great music for free and royalty-free at technoaxe.com. For more of our content, check out honestpiranha.com. Thanks for listening. Oh my goodness, managing this list now. It's ridiculous. Too many games. We should have just call the podcast Too Many Games. <laughs> too many games, too many games. <laughs> <laughs>